Welcome to Grace United Methodist Church Sermon Podcast. We are a group of people who are caring together and growing together. You can learn more about our church and its ministries at franklingrace.org. As I begin this morning, I begin with a question. How do you know that you're any good at something? How do you know that you are good at something if no one tells you? Can you know that? Or how do you know that you have value or worth if no one speaks that truth to you? Is it possible to know those things if no one vocalizes those things or shows those things to you? Can you believe that you are valuable or worthy or can you believe that you are good at anything without someone else recognizing it? I'm not going to tell you anything that you probably don't already know this morning. If you are a reader of any kind, if you listen to the news, if you've listened to the news throughout your life, if you've studied education, early childhood education, uh, adolescence, in any of those kinds of areas, um, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know. There are volumes and volumes of research out there that say if a baby is not coddled and held and rocked and, and nurtured and, and ooh, ooh, ah, ah over and, and loved over, all of those things paid attention to, they will fail to thrive. They'll live, they'll exist, they'll survive, feed and water them, they'll grow, but they will not thrive in life. And the part of their brain that makes meaningful connections to, other, to, to animals or to other human beings, that makes connections and attachments, that part of the brain will not develop. And there are multiple studies which report that if children and adolescents do not have someone in their life who believes in them, who supports them unconditionally, who validates who they are, who provides positive and encouraging feedback, if they do not have that, they will lose their sense of self, their, their identity, who they are, why they matter. And they become in a, an increased risk or at a higher risk of getting involved with harmful or unhealthy practices they will find something or someone to tell them who they are if they are not provided with that by someone else. As human beings, we need to know that when we look out into our world that there is someone looking back at us, someone looking to us. In our humanity, no matter our age, our education, our occupation, our financial status, our career, our life experiences, no matter how big and tough and successful and strong you are, it does not matter. We need to know that we are, at, we, we are looking at the world that there is someone looking for us. We need to know that we matter, that we have value and worth simply by our existence. My question to you this morning is, could it be, is it possible 
that in his humanity, that Jesus, fully divine and fully human, needed to know the same thing. Would you pray with me, please? By your spirit, Lord, reveal to us that which we need to know, that which we long to hear, and that which we seek to understand. Amen. There is a long debate among theologians around Jesus' baptism, which is what we celebrate and remember today. Celebrating Jesus' baptism, remembering our own baptism, and also celebrating epiphany, light, for the light of the world has come. And on top of that, we also bring to a close our weary world theme with this final painting. And so this long-debated question around Jesus' baptism is simply, why was Jesus baptized? Why did he have to be baptized? Did he have to be baptized? Why? Most of us, if we've spent any time in church at all, most of us have come to believe and understand that baptism is first an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. So in other words, it's something that we have decided on the inside. We've said yes to Jesus, and so we give a visible sign. We are baptized with water to symbolize that decision that was made on the inside. We've come to understand it as an act of obedience, following Jesus' example. We've come to understand it as symbolic of washing or cleansing of our sins and represents new life, new beginnings. And we've come to believe and, and understand that it is our first step or our recognition into the life and family of the church. When we baptize children, that is their first welcome, their recognition that they are a part of the family of God. When someone is baptized into the church, means that they have become a part of the family of God. And so why did Jesus have to be baptized? Well, could it be that in his humanity, Jesus, we believe, was fully human and fully divine. So in his humanity, could it be that Jesus needed to know that who he was and what God was calling him to do mattered? That he, as a human being, had value and worth, and that what God was asking him to do was a worthy cause, had meaning, value, and worth. It's been said that in the life of every human being, there are certain definitive moments or hinges, they have been called, on which their life or our lives turn. We might call them milestones, those significant moments that mark who we are, what we are, what we're becoming. So if we look at Jesus' life as a whole, okay, not just individual moments or not just certain aspects of Jesus, not just certain characteristics of his life, but his life as a whole from birth to death and resurrection, his whole life. If we look at it as a whole, I believe that Jesus had those milestone moments as well, those definitive moments. First of all, there was his birth, kind of a big deal in someone's life. 
His second definitive moment, we could say, was his visit to the temple when he was about 12 years old. When he became the teacher of teachers, they realized something about this boy. His third, we could say, was his baptism, a definitive moment. And of course, his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, there are other significant moments. You might say his first miracle. You might say when he was taken to the temple when he was eight days old. Other m- moments in his life that mattered, but I kind of identified these as the, big, the biggies. Well, how did I get there? I'm glad you asked. If we think about what was going on in this time and in, in, in Jesus' life around this time, you remember John the Baptist? You remember the the picture that we had of of Elizabeth and she was going to give birth to a son and she was to name that son John and that that young man became John the Baptist and his role, his call in life was to go and prepare the way of the Lord, make way for the Lord. And so they were about the same age. John was a little bit older, but John had, by this time, he had gone off and become some wild man in the desert wearing weird clothes and eating bugs and being very eccentric. And he was preparing the way and drawing people's attention and and making people curious about God and God's promises and the promise that there was one to come that who who was going to deliver the people of God. So John was already out there doing the work. Between Jesus being about 12 years old until he was baptized, he was about 30. What was going on during that time? We don't have a whole lot of information. But in his humanity, I think it is safe to say that that he was probably working and becoming a carpenter, you know, working on his skill or his trade. He was taking care of his family. He was kind of going through things that as a human young man and going into adulthood would deal with and think about. And then, oh yeah, there's this thing that he's the son of God. Yeah, there's that. And so he, I'm sure, had times when he thought, what is this all about? What am I to do? What will it look like? How will it happen? How will it unfold? How will, how will I do this? And so there must have been a time when he knew he was going to leave. He knew he was going to say goodbye and fill, fulfill this larger task. But I believe he also, in his humanity, needed to know when. So when John the Baptist prepared the way and all these crowds were coming to hear him and to find out more about God and what was going on and this, this one to come and what did that mean, this movement toward God started. There was momentum, there was interest, there was curiosity and it began to spread and Jesus saw that as his moment. And even then, in his humanity, he wanted to make sure that he, that he was right, that, that this was indeed the right time. Do you ever want to get it right? Do you ever want to make sure that you offer something at the right time, that you do something at the right moment, that you are paying attention for when that moment comes along? In his humanity, I believe Jesus was the same way. So in this moment, the crowds have gathered. John has been doing some baptisms by water. So Jesus knew that his hour had arrived for this moment. And it wasn't that he was necessarily conscious of sin and the need of repentance. It was that he knew 
that he too must identify himself with this movement toward God. Like any good leader, he wanted to identify with his people. He wanted to identify with this movement to be a part of the movement. It's kind of a both and. He wanted to identify with it and he was the movement. But he wanted people to see that. And he wanted the validation and the affirmation that it was indeed the right time. So for Jesus, the emergence of John was God's call to action. And his first step, Jesus' first step, was to identify himself with the people in their search for God, to say, I'm with you. I'm joining you. We are marking this moment. And, of course, that became the beginning of his ministry. He wanted to know that this was the right time, that he could take this step, and he got his answer upon being baptized when God spoke to Jesus. God spoke to Jesus not as this divine, all-powerful creator, all-knowing, but as a parent talking to their child. As a parent affirming and loving their child. Hear these words from Luke upon Jesus' baptism. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, I wonder what he was praying about. He had just been baptized. All the crowds are there. And we're told that he was praying. Could it be that he was asking God, is now the time? And he was praying, and the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. The word of God for the people of God. In that moment, Jesus received the words that we all long to hear. That we all need to hear. Jesus' baptism was for us. It, it was an example. It, it was Jesus' way of saying that I'm with you, and in this movement of God, I am baptized. You are to be baptized when you join this movement. So it was for us an example, but the words that were spoken from God, those were for Jesus as the beloved son of God. You see, our culture doesn't know how to tell people that they are inherently good. You remember in the creation story, God created humankind in God's image and said that they were not just good, but very good. And our culture doesn't do a good job of remembering that and of telling each other that. Our culture is very good, however, at telling people they are inherently bad and therefore not loved or that you have to earn it. We are good at telling people they are wrong or bad, never good enough, smart enough, fast enough, rich enough, or valid enough. We tell people they are unqualified, unworthy, and therefore unlovable. 
This morning I ask you, what would happen? What would happen, church, if we began this year? Because, believe it or not, it's only been a week. We're still in the beginning of the year. What would happen if we began this year by telling each other and those around us that we are beloved daughters and sons of God? How would trusting that truth impact your life? How would it affect your attitude or your perception of the world around you? We are beloved. Now, I know you can say, well, yeah, God loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. We know all those songs. Lots of us know verses that talk about God's, God loving us. But do you believe it? Do you trust it? And what would happen if you started from there? Would we, as a weary world, have found the key to unlock rejoicing if we could truly trust those words? If we could speak such words to each other and those around us? Would we have found the heart of the good news of Jesus? The whole reason that he came to walk among us. Remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world not judged the world, not hated the world, not questioned the world, not for God so wondered if they were ever going to figure it out, world. Not God so kind of liked the world. For God so loved the beloved, the world. The whole reason that we call God Emmanuel, which means God with us. Being told you are a beloved son or daughter of God is what Richard Rohr calls your initiation, your rite of passage into realizing who you truly are. And until you hear it, believe it, and trust it, you do not know who you are. Let me say that again. Until you believe it, until you hear it, that you are a beloved son or daughter, until you believe it, hear it, and trust it, then you do not know who you are. And you spend your time, all of us, spend our time searching our roles, our relationships, to try to find the answer to who we are. So we search our roles like wife or husband, teacher, nurse, lawyer, construction worker, accountant, stay-at-home parent, professor, partner, assistant, student, sibling, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, grandparent, neighbor, council member, and on and on. But that is your role. That is not who you are. And I'm right there with you because you ask me who I am, I'm a pastor. Who, who, who am I? I'm Isaac and Braden's mom. Who am I? I'm Patton Dudley's daughter. Right? We all, we all do that. But the role is not who you are, is not who we are. Who we are are beloved sons and daughters of God. You are a beloved daughter of God. 
you are a beloved daughter of God. And you are a beloved son of God. And even those of you sitting in the back, and even if you're sitting like this this morning, you are a beloved son or daughter of God. The only purpose of the gospel, Richard Rohr goes on to say in one of his writings, the only purpose, pastors, retired pastors, teachers, listen up. The only purpose of the gospel, the good news of Jesus is to tell that one eternal truth, is to tell people that they are beloved sons and daughters of God. That is what Jesus came to tell us, to show us, to embody while he was with us on earth. So if the world has failed to tell you that, if the world has failed to tell you that you are a beloved son or daughter of God, if the church has failed you, if the church has failed to tell you that you are a beloved son or daughter of God, then I invite you to hear it today, to hear it this morning. Regardless of where you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you've not done, regardless of what you know or don't know, you are a beloved daughter and a beloved son of God. Period. And the best part, church, the best part is that once you hear that, once you hear who you are, once you believe it, there is nothing and no one that can ever take that from you. There is no disaster, no catastrophe, no financial situation, no relationship strain or stress, no work-related issues. There is nothing and no one that can take that away from you. Today, as we bring our weary world theme to a close, when we think about where we started the beginning of Advent in that first image that we saw, all the way to this image of Jesus' baptism, as we bring that to a close, as we come to the table of communion, as we remember our own baptism, let us trust that we are indeed beloved. And church, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. Amen.